0: The Eagle and Child, Episode 38.
1: Mere Christianity, Book 4, Chapter 8. Is Christianity Hard or Easy?
0: Hello, and welcome to The Eagle and Child, the hallowed pub of the Inklings. This is a podcast where each week my friend Matt and I share a beer and discuss the writings of the author known to the world as Clive Staples Lewis or C.S. Lewis, or just as Jack to his friends. My name is David, and live from New York is my co-host Matt. Well, hello David. Hi. So
1: I've officially completed my first week of living in New York, and I'm loving it so far. It hasn't made you mean yet? No, actually quite the opposite. I'm not even joking, so I've been here a week, but the... The, the opportunities from the, the faith perspective, the Catholic perspective, it's just incredible here. Being able to go to daily Mass. I was You sent me a link to the New York C.S. Lewis Society, mm-hmm. and there's a talk every month. And the next one coming up is the relationship between grace and works. I went to a Latin Mass last Friday evening at like 7.30 p.m. I mean, there's just... There's a screw tape letters play coming up. Endless opportunities for me to dive into my faith. So, as long as I ignore the people and focus on the opportunities, I'm good to go.
0: Yeah, it doesn't have a beach, though. And it's not that sunny. I think San Diego still wins.
1: It does, but I was running the other day on the uh, Hudson River, and it was eighty degrees, sunny. It was uh, stunning, just right. It was like a boardwalk all the way down, if you want to call it the coast. I don't really know, what you'd call that, but the coast of the little Manhattan Islands, and it was
0: lovely. It won't last.
1: <laughs> I mean, it, it's not like running on the Delmar Beach. I admit that, but or or Crown Point. But hey, you know what? I try to find the joy and the beauty in the little things. Well done. <laughs> that's, a, that's what I wanted. But as we think of this title today, is Christianity Hard or Easy? I will say, since I've been in New York, it's feeling a lot easier because of the endless opportunities, which probably was not what I would have expected coming into this.
0: Yeah, moving amongst heathens. <laughs> now,
1: jumping to the quote of the day. I took it from The Great Divorce, one of yours and my favorite works of C.S. Lewis.
0: Mm -hmm. I thought you were probably going to take it from here. I wasn't (laughs) sure which part, though.
1: Yeah, well, and you have a much better memory than me. Sometimes I wonder if it's photographic. I'm guessing in the previous 37 episodes, I've probably quoted this once before. (laughs) But it's, I I have... I'm I'm
0: pretty sure you have, but it's a good one. So do it anyway.
1: It's a good one. I knew you wouldn't mind it. Lewis says, there are only two kinds of people in the end those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. All that are in hell, choose it. This will make more sense as we go through the chapter, but we're going to talk about giving ourselves completely to Christ, saying to God, thy will be done. Excellent. And what are we drinking? So I haven't done the assignment you've given me. I've been lazy of picking up some sort of assortment pack of scotch. I did go to the one store and know it doesn't have it. And so this week we're going to be drinking a little Dewar's White Label, which is my go-to when I'm not ready to drop the money on Macallan 12. It's a very delicious scotch, much more reasonably priced. Definitely not on your PD Lafroigue spectrum on the opposite side of it. Representing the side very well, I would say. Well, cheers.
0: Cheers. So let's jump into today's chapter. As you said last week, we were talking about pretending. Pretending to be the Son of God and in so doing, it becoming a reality. Or at least hopefully so. Yes, <laughs> hopefully. And something else that you mentioned, that this is central to Christianity, to share in the divine life, to become a son of God. Lewis says this, What I want to make clear is that this is not one among many jobs that a Christian has to do, and it's not sort of a special exercise for the top class. It's the whole of Christianity. Christianity offers nothing else at all. And when I was preparing for this episode and reading that, I couldn't help but think how often I lose sight of that, how I often see the means actually as the ends, as I'm going about doing ministry things, organising, getting people in certain places, and that that so quickly obscures my view of Christianity. The, the bottom line in all of this is to become another Christ and to help other people become other Christs. Well, I think your question, do we see this
1: clearly, is interesting because as I was reading this chapter, and particularly this quote from C.S. Lewis, I was thinking to myself, the way Lewis has phrased the bios, the zoe, the divine life, however you want to classify it, has transformed the way that I view Christianity in the last 12 months. I would say I was starting to see it before we started this podcast, the idea that we enter into the Trinitarian love, and that's the whole point of it, but I've never seen it so clearly spoken or written as Lewis has. And so now every time I think of Christianity, and we talk about this a lot in this podcast, we we talk about in the video series, the future one we're going to be doing, of this adventure that's Christianity. In the simplest way to describe it is that's the divine life, that divine dance with the creator of the universe. That's what's so beautiful. That's where the adventure is. Imagine how incredible life would be if we had the divine life inside of us fully, completely.
0: And this isn't the same as just being good. No. Lewis really wants to shoot down this idea that when Christians talk about becoming a son of God, participating in the divine life, He wants to shoot down the idea that this is just a Christian code, Christian language for being good. Now, Jack explains why someone might have this confusion. He says that person, they first of all begin with their natural self and their ordinary desires. And Lewis will point out that this is the starting point that's the real problem. Anyway, a man comes to see that that there is morality, that there is right and there is wrong. And morality is going to interfere with his desires. And morality is going to demand that he do some things and avoid others. This, obeying that morality, that's what we call being good.
1: Yeah, we have this, this natural self, This this sometimes we use the term this ego, this part of us that, that wants to be constantly fulfilled, that has these desires, these demands of us, these wants, whether they're ambitious, whether they're of our time,
0: whether they're physical, sexual desires. And he goes on and then says that What we all secretly hope is that we can meet the demands of morality. And he says after that, the poor natural self will still have some chance and some time to get on with its own life and do what it likes. Basically, that we'll satisfy morality and then the rest of our life is our own. He compares it to a man who pays his taxes. He's going to do his duty and give what is owed to the government. But after that, he expects everything else to be his own to do with as he sees fit. It's his own business.
1: But Jack goes on to explain that neither the natural self nor your conscious will be satisfied with this. This is going to end in either one of two ways, essentially. You're either going to give up trying to be good.
0: Which is, I think, probably the easier option.
1: I'll do a 30-second tangent here. You can cut it if you want. Um,
0: I am timing you.
1: (laughs) But I think of G.K. Chesterton. He talks about Christianity saved paganism from itself. What we're essentially describing is paganism where it's you give in, it's Hellenism, it's materialism, it's worldlyism. You give into that, those desires, that self. And, but the problem is when you take them to the end, you'll find yourself in despair. And so his argument is it saves it from the itself. But what's interesting is he goes, if I didn't believe in Christianity, I would be a pagan. He has, that's the next best alternative because they got one thing, right? Our natural self is beautiful but it needs to be constrained.
0: 27 seconds. Boom! <laughs> <laughs> so that, that, that's the first way. By the way, it's hedonism, not Hellenism. Hellenism uh, is when you become Greek. Uh, and by the Greek go. culture, hedonism no is indulging good. yourself. No, it's good. No I, good. I, I, I figured I wasn't going to stop you. Anyway, carry on. <laughs>
1: so that's the first way you will end up is going down that path is just giving up completely. The second way you can choose is continuing trying to balance this conflict between yourself and being good for society, but you're going to end up miserable. But let's not spend too much time talking. Let's bring Lewis into this, the real genius here. He says, if you are really going to try to meet all the demands made on the natural self, it will not have enough left over to live on. The more you obey your conscience, the more your conscience will demand of you. And your natural self, which is thus being starved and hampered and worried at every turn, will get angrier and angrier. You will become one of those people who, as they say, live for others, but always in a discontented, grumbling way, always wondering why the others do not notice it more, and always making a martyr of yourself.
0: And Lewis seems to think that's going to be even more annoying than if you just simply remained selfish and never tried in the first place. I'd probably prefer a world where everyone chose the first way. Well, Lewis loves this character. You see someone who is is like this, someone who's trying to be good, but always discontent, always grumbling, always martyring themselves. In lots of his works, he gives examples in The Four Loves, in The Great Divorce. Lewis really loves this character, or can't stand it, and therefore wants to keep presenting it in his writings. That's because we can all think of a person like that.
1: And in fact, we've all been that person from time to time.
0: I think it is also the, the logical consequence. If you really do take the moral law seriously, if you do understand that there is a right and a wrong, and there is a right way to live and a wrong way to live, and you really are trying, I think this is a very, very easy trap to fall into. So that was one way. Lewis says, The Christian way is different, harder and easier. Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you. So Jesus wants us. And that sounds really nice. (laughs) And
1: let me stop you right there for clarification. This whole first part, we've been talking about this Initial approach that we take, where we have this natural self that we we almost find good, and we want all of our natural self, but then society demands some of it so we'll be a good person. Takes a piece of it, kind of like the taxes, and then we want to keep as much as possible. Jesus is saying the opposite. He's not saying you get to keep part of it or it's a good thing. He's saying I want it all. You need to give me
0: every bit of it. It's a completely different way of thinking, and it actually almost gets worse. Because Lewis, speaking in the person of Christ, goes on to say, I have not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. No half measures are any good. Hand over the whole natural self, all the desires which you think innocent, as well as the ones that you think wicked. The whole outfit. I will give you a new self instead. In fact, I will give you myself. My own will shall become yours. Right there, that's the heart
1: of the difference. We want to hold on to something that we need to give up completely, that we need to be willing to let die. But I also like, so that might make you think, oh, does that mean our, our natural self is bad? I think what he's saying is I have something better for you and you have to give it all up. That doesn't necessarily mean it's an evil self, but it's it's a broken, it's a fallen, it's a wounded, it's an incomplete, whatever, I don't know the proper word per se. And he's going to give us a perfect self.
0: Jesus's resurrected body was superior to his pre-resurrected body. In the same way, if we release something, if we let it die and it's resurrected, it will come back to us better than it was before. I'm so glad you brought that
1: up because we can't stress enough that point right there. Jesus's physical death and resurrection is the example of what we need to do with our I don't know if you'd call it our spiritual life, our soul. I mean, we don't have to physically die per se, but we have to have a part of us die in that exact same
0: way. I'd go further than that. Please do. Please do. (laughs) All of us needs to die. That's the point. It's not just particular parts of you. Everything has to be given. Everything has to be laid down so that Christ can raise it back up. And speaking about those words of Christ, we see the paradox in his earthly ministry Because on the one hand, he would speak about taking up our cross and following him. But then in the next breath, he'd be saying that his burden and yoke are light.
1: So this makes me think of a story, one of my favorites. And so there's a chance I've shared it on this podcast. So if you've heard it, (laughs) listeners, I apologize. Although you'll probably thank me for reminding you again of the beauty of it. If you haven't heard it, you're in for a treat. I'm going to shorten it. But it's a story of this Indian beggar who sits on the street every single day, to, to, to make his days worth of food to eat. And he had a terrible day and it's the end of the day. And he's got one last chance to, to get some food to sustain on because he sees this procession coming and the King is coming by and he thinks to himself, Oh, perfect. My chance to get something for today. The King gets off his elephant and says, can I have some rice? And the beggar shocked says you can have four grains because the beggar knows he has eight. He'd already counted them for the day. After the king leaves, the beggar goes to grab the remaining four that he knows are in there. And he feels four hard things in his can and he pulls them out and he finds four nuggets of gold, one piece for every grain he gave the king. And he says to himself, if only I had given the king everything. And I believe this summarizes what Lewis is trying to describe. It would be very hard in the moment for the beggar to give the king everything. That's all he has. He has nothing else. In his mind, a a scarcity mindset, he needs to hold on to that. And yet little does he know if he offers it to the king, he will get so much more in return. If we offer ourselves, stop holding on to that 5%, 10%, 20%, 30%, whatever it is, God will take everything and transform it for the better. But there's something inside of us that always wants to hold back.
0: And we've referenced the great divorce, and that is the consistent pattern you see in that story. People reject heaven because they want to bring in some souvenirs of hell. There are some things that they are unwilling to let go of, and because of that, they lose out on everything. Ooh,
1: I like that. Now, a little lighthearted note here. We've talked about what book we're going to do next after this one. If we don't do The Great Divorce, people are going to be like, what is going on? (laughs) We, We reference that book more than anything else.
0: Lewis goes on and he gives a number of examples where we see this pattern played out, where giving everything is what is required. And if we don't do it, life becomes harder in the long run. He gives two examples. One is of a conscientious student who really tries to understand what he's being taught and will sacrifice a lot of time and effort up front, but that this ultimately pays dividends further down the line, particularly around exam season. Whereas in contrast, the lazy student, who just tries to do the bare minimum since it's less effort, will suffer in the long run. And Jack also talks about physical pursuits. He says, in a battle or in mountain climbing, there is often one thing which takes a lot of pluck to do, but it is also in the long run the safest thing to do. If you funk it, you'll find yourself hours later in far worse danger. The cowardly thing is also the most dangerous thing. And I've done a little bit of rock climbing, and he's right. If you approach that overhang timidly, if you're not bold, you'll go slower, you'll run out of energy, and you'll fall off. I didn't know you were a climber. I did it when I was in D.C. for a few months because I'd gone rock climbing in England and found out I had a fear of heights. So I decided I needed to deal with this. I have that same personality. If there's a
1: fear in me, I'm like, well, there's only one way to overcome this. But I, I did rock climbing, um, the Mesa, La Mesa ring or, Rim or something in San Diego. I would go there
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, for a couple months and got really into it. And then
0: I moved away from San Diego. So <laughs> never got back into it. Yeah, I haven't done it in years either. Yeah, should do sometime. It's a good workout.
1: You know what this also makes me think of, actually. What's that? Think the Have you seen the Dark Knight Rises? Of course. And he's that scene uh. where he's yeah he's <laughs> rising up the cliff and he needs to jump. He has that rope around him, which is that last little bit that's keeping him from risking everything. He never makes it, but it's only when he lets go of it completely and is willing to die and give everything can he make the jump.
0: Matthew, I'm giving you a slow clap. Not only was that a perfect image for what we're describing, it was from a movie. (laughs) Stick with me. I'll show you how to live.
1: (laughs) For a second, I'm thinking, oh, I'm getting a clap for just the wisdom of that. Little do I know half of it's just because I watched a movie.
0: (laughs) Both. But both.
1: (laughs) But Jack tells us that is exactly the same with Christianity. You have to give everything to Christ, not just a portion. Here's what he says specifically. The terrible thing, the almost impossible thing, is to hand over your whole self, all your wishes
0: and precautions to Christ. And he says that this is actually far easier than what we're trying to do. That first approach that we mentioned at the beginning of the episode, the man who's paying his taxes, who tries to keep a little bit of himself back to keep personal happiness as our great aim in life, and yet at the same time be good. We are all trying to let our mind and our heart go their own way, centered on money or pleasure and ambition, and hoping, in spite of this, to behave honestly and chastely and humbly. And the problem with this is Jesus told us this is exactly what we can't do. He says you can't serve two masters. He says a thistle can't produce figs. And Lewis actually uses a similar example. He talks about a field that produces grass. He says, you can keep cutting it as much as you want, but it's going to keep producing grass. What you really need to do is dig it up, plow it up, and plant wheat. And I, I'm going to guess, I'm going to venture here, that that plowing process is not very pleasant. When the, when the potter shapes us, I don't think, as clay, it's always going to be the nicest thing in the world and
1: imagine when you need to do the most shaping think of shaping iron or metal it's only when you can get it it's hottest you put it right to the fire are you able to shape it and then you beat
0: it with a hammer <laughs> <laughs> yeah that, you'd think you'd be done after it's really hot no nope. and that's when the real pain begins that's when the real work begins exactly lewis's point here is that the change needs to be deep and it needs to be abiding He says it's the difference between paint, which is maybe laid on the surface, and a dye or a stain which soaks right through. The the comparison I prefer is it's the difference between ketchup and a marinade. You know, ketchup, you can just squirt on something and it gives a little bit of a, a pop in its taste. But that compared to a marinade. Imagine some piece of meat that's been in the slow cooker for eight hours, slowly soaking in all of these, all the juices and the flavors
1: switching from movies to music i don't think i'm gonna get a slow clap for this one (laughs) but
0: popular culture though matt well done
1: (laughs) i moved to new york it takes me one week and i become a a connoisseur of pop culture one of my favorite bands though outside of ben rector is need to breathe Mm -hmm. i love them i would recommend any listener listen to them And he has this song, or they have this song called Hard Love. And I picture it, this entire chapter, what we're talking about. But he says, in the morning, you're going to need an answer. Ain't nobody going to change the standard. It's not enough to just feel the fight. You got to burn your whole self away. And the whole song is like this hard love of we have to go through these trials and tribulations for our whole self to be burned away. And this whole album actually is more about marriage. So I think it's that dying to yourself and going through that to be able to love your wife better. And if you hear all of his other songs, it fits together. But it's not enough to feel the fight. You have to burn your whole self away. Wow. Yeah. Anyways, no slow clap? Okay.
0: No, no, that, that was good. Not slow clap worthy. Gotta Dad's keep, gotta, gotta, right. gotta keep I, them I, rare. I, gotta keep them rare.
1: I was going to say, I wouldn't want you to whip that out too much because it did feel really good when you did it because I've never gotten one
0: of those in 38 episodes. <laughs> well, it was perfect. And speaking of perfect, Lewis refers to Christ's words when he says, be ye perfect. Lewis says he meant it. Now, he's actually going to address this comment about being perfect in next week's chapter. So if you're thinking, oh, my goodness, how could I be perfect? That's just impossible. Lewis is going to explain what he means more next week. So just hold on to that one for a little bit. But his point is that this giving everything to Christ, this is our only option. He admits it's hard, but the sort of compromise that we're going for, like the man doing his taxes, is even harder. In fact, it's impossible.
1: And I loved his analogy here because I love eggs. And he says, it may be hard for an egg to turn into a bird. It would be a jolly sight harder for it to learn to fly while remaining an egg. We are like eggs at the present. And you cannot go on indefinitely being just an ordinary, decent egg. We must be hatched or go bad.
0: Classic Lewis. Great comparison. Vivid. So we need to be hatched, or as I like, (laughs) marinated. And this entire process begins the first moment every morning as soon as you wake up. You know,
1: as you say, as soon as you wake up, this is just a, a suggestion for every listener, every person But I had a priest tell me, start your day on your knees and end your day on your knees. Um, But in the morning, just one minute, obviously you can do more prayers and stuff, but the first thing you do out of bed and say, God, today I give you my hands, use of them as you will. Today I give you my mind, use it as you will, God. Today I give you my mouth, speak when I should speak, don't speak when I shouldn't speak. It's... I think that's that marinating process. You're slowly giving yourself to God. And as you do that every day and you offer yourself to him and to Jesus Christ, you will slowly see that
0: transformation happening. And that provides a good antidote to what happens naturally. Lewis says that when we wake up, all your wishes and hopes for the day rush at you like wild animals. And he says that the first job every morning consists in just shoving them all back and listening to that other voice taking that other point of view, letting that other, larger, stronger, quieter life come flowing in. And we're to do this all day. Now, he says that initially this is gonna be difficult, but we come back to that idea we've mentioned before of cumulative interest, that as we do things more and more often, they build on themselves.
1: And that's so true. The very first time I started, this was probably, I wanna say it's two or three months ago, I was told to do this, and I've been doing it pretty well. The first time you do it and the first weeks you do it, you do it and then you go on to your whole day and your day is nothing different than the days before. But I will admit you slowly, as you do it more and more, let's say a month in, I started remembering it a couple times throughout the day. And so my mind was pulled back to it. And then more often and more often, and I'm still very far from it, (laughs) from being that cumulative interest is in the early stages of growth right now. But I will admit, I can already see myself reflecting on it more often throughout the day than just one minute and then completely putting it out of my head for the rest of the day. In this, what we've been talking about here, this giving yourself to Christ, that divine life, this is Christianity, pure and simple. And I love that Lewis keeps hitting this point home. He says, may I come back to what I said before? This is the whole of Christianity. There is nothing else. It is so easy to get muddled about that. It is easy to think that the church has a lot of different objects, education, building, missions, holding surfaces.
0: Yeah, it's easy as you're doing day-to-day ministry to cease being Christian, (laughs) to to lose your focus on what everything is all about.
1: Exactly. And Lewis says, yet... The church exists for nothing else but to draw men into Christ, to make them little Christs. If they are not doing that, all the cathedrals, the clergy, missions, sermons, even
0: the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. And those, those are big statements. And it's not saying that any of these things are bad. No. But they're a means to an end. And what's that end? To be drawn into Christ. That's it.
1: God became man, as Lewis says, for no other purpose. Even goes on to say, it is even doubtful whether the whole universe was created for any other purpose.
0: And this section here was kind of interesting because he talks about what it might mean for everything. The Bible talks about um, all of nature being made for Christ and being drawn into him. And Lewis suggests what that might mean for plants, animals, other planets, even aliens, to be gathered together. In Christ, He says when intelligent creatures entered into Christ, they would, in that way, bring all other things along with them. But he points out that this is just speculation. And I, I've got to say, I found this, this last part of the chapter a little harder to understand. But I think the essential point was that as we are drawn into Christ, we draw the natural world into Christ as well. But Lewis ends with what we know for certain. What we have been told is how men can be drawn into Christ can become part of that wonderful present which the young prince of the universe wants to offer to his father. That present which is himself, and therefore us in him. It is the only thing we were made for. And there are strange, exciting hints in the Bible that when we are drawn in, a great many other things in nature will begin to come right. The bad dream will be over. It will be morning. And the adventure will begin. And we'll pick up that adventure again next week. Please leave us a rating and a review on iTunes. And as always, to give you some ideas, here's my iTunes review for a podcast I'm currently enjoying. American Innovations is a wonderful podcast which tells the story of great technological innovations through creative storytelling. Each topic, such as nuclear power, DNA, and artificial intelligence, receives several episodes. And in each episode is a mix of narrative and dialogue. Have a listen and discover the hidden drama behind the development of some great American innovations. How do you come across these? I mean, I want to listen to
1: this. I want to hear the storytelling of artificial intelligence.
0: I actually thought of you as I was listening to it. It's really good. But as to how do I find these podcasts? Well, whenever I meet anyone new that I think is interesting, I ask them two questions. What book should I read? What podcast should I listen to? But speaking of good podcast episodes, we have one coming up with Joe Heshmeyer. I recorded it actually this week. So we spent a lot of time over the course of this podcast talking about being drawn into the divine life, becoming a son of God. And the theological term for that is theosis. We've talked about it a little bit. But I wanted to interview Joe because he gave a phenomenal talk at a church here in San Diego when he was visiting on theosis. So I wanted him to talk about the biblical basis for this idea. Because Lewis talks about it a lot, but he doesn't quite ground it in Scripture fully.
1: That sounds incredible.
0: And you will actually listen to it.
1: <laughs> I will. I actually do enjoy listening to ourselves back and forth.
0: <laughs> you probably shouldn't admit that. I'm sure a humble person would, wouldn't even mention it.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to defend myself there. I do smile a lot. Um, <laughs>
0: The only way, the you know only what, way of though? saving that would be to say, David, it's because I like listening to you and I'd just like to listen to it more.
1: I was, I was going to take the th- theological route. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Nah. It's just thinking of yourself less. And so I was, it's not thinking you're better or worse than you are. And I think, I think
0: we do a good job. That was a good response, but I'm immediately deducting points because that's a very common misquotation of Lewis.
1: Oh, you're right. I should know this. You pointed this out to me before. <laughs> That's one of my favorite quotes, too. <laughs> it's not even a quote.:
0: <laughs> that's We bad.: We will try again next week. <laughs> and well,
1: do, you, do you ever have those episodes where we, we, you just smile you listen to us again and you just laugh and smile? I
0: do.: You say lots okay, of things good. that are very funny.
1: <laughs> I, I'm okay that, that I know what you mean there, that some of them are funny because I'm funny and some of them are funny because it's a stupid comment and that's why it's funny. <laughs> and I'm okay with both.
0: That's good because there are lots of those.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Until next time, further up
1: and further in. Cheers. Cheers.